0: 38 years of ministry with more spiritual children than I've ever seen. So I want us to stand to our feet and bless the Lord for Pastor coming three hours here today to be with us. Pastor,
1: we love you so much. God bless you. Love you. Okay. Hey, it's great to be here in Chicago, Chi-Town. And it's great to have uh, one of the young men from our church, uh, Jason Jackson. Jason, why don't you come on up here so the folks in Shreveport and New Orleans can see you who are online with us at this time. And just tell them briefly what God's doing in your life, Jason. I love Jason Jackson. I used to say I'm not a Michael Jackson fan. I'm a Jason Jackson fan. But now Michael's dead, so it's just not appropriate to say that. Uh, Yeah, just real quick.
0: Um, I'm a senior at the University of Illinois. Uh, I got saved uh, about Five years ago, March 27, 2005, at a church service at Pastor Grogan's church that we're at now. And so since then, I've just been getting discipled from uh, Pastor Grogan and one of the pastors on staff, Pastor Ricky. And uh, so now I work under Pastor Grogan with the youth group uh, part-time and go to school full-time. And so it's just a blessing to learn uh, how to do ministry um, and just how to reach people. So it's been great. Uh, yeah, I'm not used to standing up and clapping like you guys. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was raised in a Methodist home, and um, and and so I, I would just sit in church, just, you know, sit down, uh, sing hymnals, um, and so there was just nothing there. Like, it was barren, and I wasn't used to that, and so when I came to this church, uh, you know, like I said, Easter Sunday, March 27, 2005, like, I couldn't help, but I, I just sensed the presence of God, um, and it just began to change me, and so... Um, after a while, I, I learned to begin to worship and express myself in worship. And, and when I first started going there, like, everybody else would be raising their hands. But for me, like, the way I could express my worship was through just touching the seat in front of me. And through, like, you know, the process of growing in worship and then learning how to express myself, I was able to lift my hands and just go freely. So, yeah, it's been awesome <laughs> since then.
1: Yeah, We're proud of Jason. He's preaching um Youth camps, youth retreats, and church services, and he's just really maturing and growing in the Lord. Well, my understanding is those of you here at SUM and those in Shreveport and those in New Orleans, which I've been to SUM and New Orleans many times, we did relief work there after Hurricane Katrina. In fact, uh, our young adults and uh, older adults went down there nine different times And it was such a great thing for us to stay at the facility there, uh, S-U-M, in New Orleans. Uh, I I love to go to Mardi Gras. I hope you guys are going to Mardi Gras this year. I've been going for probably 30 years or so and just have a lot of wonderful experiences there. And I'm just kind of a spiritual papa now, uh, and I invest my life into leaders and potential leaders to encourage them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, You have many teachers but few fathers. And I know I work the best when people encourage me. It takes no brains and no spirituality to see what's wrong with somebody or see what's wrong with something. Even the unregenerate can do that. But it takes brains and spirituality to see what's right with something and right with somebody and bring it out and enhance it. I think the ministry of encouragement is one of the most lacking ministries in the Western church today. The Apostle Paul, you do a cross reference on it, how often he talked about the ministry of encouragement. It is amazing. Some people think they have a prophetic anointing and they just always tell you all the bad stuff about you. Now my proof text for this is Proverbs 20 verse 5. Within the heart of mankind, within the heart of man is wisdom, but a man of understanding draws it out. I can be with you just a few minutes and I can figure out what's wrong with you. That takes no discernment. That takes no spiritual gifting. That takes no intelligence quota. But I have to be committed to you to find out what's right with you and then enhance that, mature that, and bring that out. And that's what I'm called to do, to be a spiritual father. Even if my son was a jerk. Of course, daughters can't be that way because there's a special relationship between fathers and daughters. And I kind of like my son-in-law. Actually, I love him, but if he ever messes up, he's a dead man. In love, of course. Uh, but, you know, if my son was an idiot, or he'd still be my son. I would still love him. I would still care for him. And so that's the relationship I have with Pastor Joe and with Nancy. It was a privilege to do their wedding. The Lord was there. It was a wonderful time. And I've been associated with Pastor Joe since he was pastoring down in New Orleans and I'm just going to go ahead and tell this story since it's just us, Pastor Joe. Um, Our church was just way overcommitted in regards to missions projects. We give a lot to missions every year. We're a very missions-oriented church, not just here in the United States but overseas. We support about 50 different missionaries on a monthly basis. Over half of them are from our church. There's just a very unusual calling upon our church. Uh, The first pastor of the church, his wife was raised in China, and he had a lot of roots in the mission field, and there's just a very unusual calling on our church, uh, how many people go into missions work. It's amazing. Um, So I became associated with Pastor Joe through a mutual friend, Wayne Northup, and I believed in what he was doing in New Orleans, and I felt the Lord lay upon my heart to give him $10,000 for the ministry. Well, there was no way I was going to go to the deacons and ask them for $10,000 because we were so overly committed. And so I really prayed about it, and I usually fast on Wednesdays, and on a Wednesday I was praying and fasting, and I really felt like the Lord, and this is very unusual, this is very subjective, and I do not recommend it until you're a lot farther along, okay? Otherwise people will call you foolish, (laughs) Cause this was really foolish I said to my wife I said honey I said you know Joe Wyrostek down there in New Orleans yeah what about him I said I really think the Lord wants us to help him give him $10,000 for his ministry give it to him all at once She said well that's great uh, you know talk to the deacons about it I said no I mean me and you and it's not that I had $10,000. I said, honey, I think the Lord wants me to use my good credit, my good name, and borrow $10,000 personally and give it to his ministry down there. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. And so my wife, we're sitting there. Now, you've got to have a good woman who believes in you. <laughs> and, and, you know, after dinner and we're kind of reading the newspaper and doing our thing together, and she looks over at me and says, better be Jesus And that's all she said. What a good woman, huh? And so I went and got a loan personally for $10,000. And I gave it 100% to Pastor Joe for the ministry there. And the banker said, When do you think you can pay this back? I said, Oh, probably a year or so. We'll see. Uh, and I should have brought the file, Pastor Joe, from the day the loan was made until I paid it back was six months. All of a sudden, my phone started ringing off the hook, and people wanted me to come and preach men's conventions and preach this and preach that. And, and, and I said to them, okay, I will do that if you let me at the end take a second offering for a young man down in New Orleans who's trying to do a work for God. And I never pressure people with offerings. I just told them the facts. And the money came in, and I paid it all back within six months. I think it was $10,300. Now, again, I don't recommend you go out and do something foolish like that until you're a little bit farther along, okay? My understanding is uh, all of you have a calling to ministry here at SUM, School of Ministry, and I assume it's the same way there in New Orleans and Shreveport. And so what I want to talk to you about are some observational, some observations I have about the ministerial call. If you want to hand out that piece of paper, and I don't know if you can send it electronically to, all right, you're already, those of you there, you should have it electronically. Maybe somebody's... All right, did you get that? If you email Pastor Joe right now, he'll send these notes to you so you can follow along. You'll get a little bit more out of it. I used to teach in a school of ministry down on a campground south of Springfield in the middle of nowhere where when Chicago people go, they feel like they're really out in the boondocks. Um, and I did that for about 10 years and then I just said, hey, somebody else needs the opportunity. But these are just some observations I've noticed over the years when you have a divine call from God to what I call occupational ministry. Okay? As we go through these, I think that uh, hopefully some things will come together for you. But go down to the bottom first, and notice where it says the will of God is. I define the will of God as a growing knowing. You do not know everything at once. You remember one time uh, the disciples wanted to know a whole bunch of stuff, and Jesus said, it's just not for you to know yet. And remember in Acts chapter 1, He said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father hath put in His own exousia, His own authority. We translate that word power, same word that we translate power, dunamis. They mean different things. One means authority. One means power to move things. And Jesus said to His disciples, It's just not time for you to know these things. Uh, Another time... The Apostle Peter wanted to know what all was going to happen in the inner circle. John the Beloved was kind of getting all the attention. And basically what Jesus said to him was, Look, what I've given you to do, you do. You be content with that. You do not compare yourself with others. What I've given John to do, John will do. What I've given you to do, you do. You see? So this is what you need to understand about the will of God. You don't need to know all the facts right now. All you need to do is walk in obedience. Acts 5.32, the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey Him. You know, the secret to cleansing is obedience. The secret to the anointing is obedience. The secret to enablement is the obedience. The secret to knowing what to do is obedience. What God wants from His people is what every parent wants from their child. Calm, unmurmuring obedience You've got to have a revelation of Father God. Now, uh, particularly ladies, if you were abandoned, or even men, if you were abandoned by a father, you've got to pray through and ask the Holy Spirit to give you a revelation of the Father heart of God. Or worse yet, if you were abused by a father physically or sexually, you must pray through and get a revelation of the good God that we serve. He will never mess with your life. He will never waste your life. He will never abandon you. He will always provide for you. Doesn't mean you don't suffer. That's just the human existence. Uh, the apostle Paul said in Philippians three ten that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's certain things you cannot know about the character of God unless you go through pain, unless you go through difficulty, unless you go through valleys. He's the God of the mountaintops and He's the God of the valleys. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 8, there's four reasons very clearly there why God led the children of Israel through the wilderness experience. You know, some preachers say, well, it only takes 11 days to get from Egypt to the land of Goshen to the Promised Land. There's no way that ragtag group of slaves would have been ready to walk into the Promised Land until they went through the wilderness. For one thing, all the unbelievers had to be purged out. God had a system. He wanted to organize them. He wanted them to be trained. He wanted them to be equipped. The, the wilderness was not a wasteful time at all. It was an awesome time. You look at it there in Deuteronomy 8 2. It was a time where God could test their motives, God could test and see what was in their hearts, God could test to see whether or not he, they would obey Him. He's the one that led them in the wilderness. If you are in a wilderness experience right now and you're doing the best you can to serve God, God led you there. He led you there. Matthew chapter 4, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. There were certain things in the plan of God for Jesus Christ and His ministry empowerment that could only take place in the wilderness. There are certain places... That the only the only way you will be empowered and enabled and anointed and equipped is to go through the wilderness of temptation and trial. <laughs> you sure you want to do this? I mean, most people your age are looking for a way out, and just everybody wants to live somewhere where it's warm and where it's easy, and do a little bit of work and get paid a whole lot of money. If you're planning on ministry. You're going to have to learn how to live on a budget. Thank you, Jesus. So it's a growing knowing, and time things are revealed. But here's another thing about the ministerial call I believe it's exactly what you would choose if you knew all the facts. So keep your options open. I never thought I would be a lead pastor, I did not want to be a lead pastor. That's the center of the bullseye. I used to make fun of lead pastors. I was in youth ministry full time for 15 years. But I cannot imagine doing anything else now, at least at this stage in my life. I love what I do. I just came back from the South Pacific and island country of Tonga, T-O-N-G-A, but they don't pronounce the G. And, and the, the Tongan word for pastor is fifey cow. And the Tongan word for happy is fia fia. So I always tell them, I want to be a fia fia fifey cow. I do not want to be uh, uh, out of shape emotionally, physically, mentally, relationally, lead pastor. I'm in it for the long haul. So the will of God is exactly what you would choose if you knew all the facts. Now, if you are called... Now, by the way, you can interrupt me any time. I love Q&A. This is where I really shine is Q&A. And I don't know if those of you in Shreveport and New Orleans can text Pastor Joe right now and if you have a question, if you have his cell phone, do they have his cell phone number? Uh, Maybe you could tell him that. Pastor Joe, if those in Shreveport and New Orleans have a question, can they text you? Okay. Okay. And then you can ask the question and say, here's Jim from Shreveport and he wants to know this. So you can interrupt me anytime. I will not be threatened by that. I absolutely love that. Now, notice at the bottom it says when you're called to occupational ministry, you're dedicating your life to basically three things. A life of prayer. You must be a person of prayer. You must embrace prayer, corporate prayer, individual prayer, devotional prayer. You must read everything you can on prayer, learn everything you can on prayer. All right? Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are an intercessor. There's a difference between intercessors and prayer warriors. The person that has the best revelation on this that I know of is a pastor in Kenosha, Wisconsin by the name of Ron Alk, A-U-C-H. You can uh, Google his name, and he pastors Prayer House Assembly Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He's a prolific author. He's authored at least 15, if not 20 different books. And he has a great revelation on the difference between an intercessor and a prayer warrior. We should all be prayer warriors. We should all make prayer lists and systematically pray over things and maybe I will show you how I do my daily devotions. I do not want to be the type of pastor that only reads the Bible to get sermons and only prays to get an anointing to perform. I want a real, loving, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I want that all my life. See, the ministry is not who I am. The ministry is what I do. If you took away the title lead pastor from me, I would still be Gary Grogan. When I was born, my mother didn't say, Pastor Grogan. No. There are too many pastors, in my opinion, their identity is in their performance, what they do, and not who they are. Our first calling is to be with Jesus, Mark three fourteen. And then our ministry is just simply a byproduct of our character. Our doing is simply a representation of our being. We don't pray and read the Word to get more anointing so we can perform better. We pray and read the Word so we can get closer to Jesus and be a real functioning child of Jesus and not a dysfunctioning child of Jesus. Secondly, your whole life is about studying the Bible. You need a revelation of the Word. You need to pray for a revelation of God's Word. I always like to tease people and say, It's a thousand proof eternal life hangover. It's wonderful, the Word of God, but you've got to have a revelation of it. You've got to pray for a revelation of God's Word. The best book I could ever recommend to you on understanding God's Word is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. And I can never remember the co-author's name, Stuart something, or else his last name is Stuart. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee, F-E-E. It is the absolute best book you will ever read on understanding the Bible. I don't know if in S-U-M they teach, I'm sure they teach you homiletics, the science of preaching. I hope they teach you hermeneutics, the science of interpreting. That book is the easiest book you'll ever read on understanding the Bible within its context. You have to be a student of the Word. You read the Word. You study the Word. What's the difference between reading and studying? You can read the Bible through every year, which you need to do. You can tell a preacher who reads the Bible because it just comes out of them. And you can tell a Christian who reads the Bible. It just comes out of them. you got to be a Bible reader. I would recommend at this stage in your life you read the Bible through every year. You could even buy one-year Bibles, portion of the Old Testament, portion of the New Testament portion of Psalms or Proverbs. You can read the Bible through every year. There's just all kind of Bible reading programs. Uh, But the difference between reading and studying is studying you take notes. Studying you look at small passages. You look up words. You try to get an enlightenment on it. Here's my favorite tool when I study the Bible. Ask the text six different interrogatives, questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. If you will ask the text six different questions. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. Those are interrogatives. You will get a lot more out of your Bible reading. For instance, John chapter 7, Jesus on the last great day of the feast, this happened to be the Feast of the Trumpets, by the way, He stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and and drink. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. When I was in Bible school, I got it backwards and I said, livers of riving water. Kind of missed that one, didn't I? Ask yourself questions. Who said that? Jesus said it. must be pretty important. When did he say it? He said it at a feast, a big party. There were a lot of people around. He stood up and he said with, how did he say it? Apparently he said it with a loud voice. You start asking the text questions. Now this takes a little more time. You have to think differently when you study than when you read. Most people just devotionally read the Bible and wait for God to hit them over the head. But God gave you a brain. You're to worship Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So you learn a few tools on how to worship Him with your mind, your brain. One of those things is to read a few verses, a few sentences, and then ask those verses questions. Why did He say this? Who did He say this to? How did He say it? When did He say it? If you will ask the test questions... Man, you'll just get so much more out of your Bible. All right? And then thirdly, here's what the call of the ministry is all about. Preaching the Word. Communicating the Word. Don't get hung up on the word preaching. Actually, it only says a couple times Jesus preached. The majority of the times it says He taught. People have to be taught, 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 taught. This is primarily what Jesus did. Teach, 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 teach. Preaching is really easy. All right? Uh, It would be better if you wrote Communicating the Word. That's the call of God. To a lifetime of prayer, you'll never get away from it. You say, I don't like the mornings. Well, go to bed earlier at night and you'll like the mornings. That's what the call of the ministry is. It's a lifetime of prayer. You never get away from it. If you aren't willing to do that, you better go do something else. You could be a Christian businessman. And not have to pray. But there's no way you can be in ministerial work without prayer. Prayer. Prayer all the time. Study the Word all the time. And communicate the Word through drama, through music, through writing. However you want to do it. Your generation has a deposit of creativity that my generation did not have. So use it to communicate the Word, dude. Dudas, use it to communicate the Word. Alright, so we're kind of working our way up from the bottom to the top. Do You see, uh, uh, by the way, let me say this about studying the Bible. Do you know what the basic unit of thought is in any written language? It's the paragraph. The Bible is arranged in paragraphs. You look in your Bible right now. Maybe you don't know this, but some Bibles, the words go all the way across the page. There's nothing sacred about the way most Bibles are listed in columns. It's just to save paper and ink. That's all. The editors did it. That's why, I, that's why I like some of the paraphrases because they go all the way across the page and they're a little easier to read. But most Bible editors, look in your Bible see and see if they tell you where the paragraphs are. Oh, let's just go to like... Uh, let's well, just, just turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. And uh, look at Acts chapter 2. My guess is... There is some way the editor of your Bible showed you what the first paragraph is. Maybe it goes down to about let verse 4. I think verse 1 through 4 is the first paragraph and then verse 5 maybe the first letter of the first word is in real bold or it's indented a little bit or verse 5 is in bold. Is that the way yours is, honey? Okay. It's indented. All right, now maybe you never knew this before, but you've got to learn to study the Bible in paragraphs. Now, the next paragraph, I think, is quite lengthy, and it might go all the way down to about verse 40 or something. It may break up sooner than that, depending on the editor. Verse 12 is your next paragraph, and then from verse 13 to what? Thirteen and fourteen are okay, are their own little paragraph. All right, now every editor's a little bit different on it, but you say, well, I don't want, I don't want to make a mistake. Don't worry, you're not going to make a mistake. God's going to help you to study the Bible yourself. So you think in paragraphs. Now here was here would be a good exercise write out the paragraph or type it out on your computer like paragraph number one and then some of the editors put verse 13 and 14 together I like to make three paragraphs out of Acts chapter 2 is what I like to do and then you ask the first paragraph the first four verses who, what, where, when why and how and see if the Holy Spirit gives you some new insights now the big part of Acts chapter 2 in the middle is basically the Apostle Peter's sermon All right. That's a little bit harder, but you go to the last paragraph. Where does the last paragraph start, about verse 40 or so? 42. So why don't you just forget the middle section and just do this exercise, Acts 2, 1 through 4, and then Acts 42 through 46 is the last verse, right? 47, all right? And then just ask those two paragraphs those questions. Who said this? Why did they say it? When did they say it? How did they say it? Where did they say it? What did they say? And see if the Holy Spirit gives you some new insight or revelation. Now, I don't want to get too technical here in my very first time with you, but and I'm kind of getting stuck right here, but this is a real passion of mine, and I just taught this Friday night in a discipleship class of ours at our church. You do realize that there are literal translations of the Bible that are very hard to read. And then on the other end of the perspective you have paraphrases, which are very easy to read, but they're not always literally accurate. In the middle, you have what's called dynamic equivalence. Now, usually, and I don't mean to be cruel, but uneducated preachers say things like, the King James Bible is the only Bible. Well, the truth is there were three English translations before the King James Bible. King James of England hired scholars from Germany and France and a few from his own country, England, to put together an English Bible for the people to read. Politically, the Church of England was breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of Rome, which did not want its people to read the Bible. And this is why there was always a fight going on between... And that's where the Protestant Reformation came. It came from Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest. But then the Church of England really carried it on and got the Bible into everyday people's hands and began to raise the literary reading level of most people in their population. Uh, don't get hung up on that, okay? Even the paraphrases do not take away from the basic meaning of the paragraph. Some preachers get up and pontificate. We used to have this guy at our church, and he'd say, the NIV is a bad translation. They leave verse da-da-da-da. And I'm thinking, dude, come on, man. Leave it alone. You're, you're you know... You're not a scholar. I'm not a scholar. Leave it alone, dude. Find something good to preach on instead of railing on the NIV translation. It doesn't change the overall meaning of the paragraph. Now, myself, I like dynamic equivalents in the middle. Like, they're easy to read, but yet they're a little more literal. Like, the New Living translation is kind of my favorite right now. Now, as far as a paraphrase, I love the message, and that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, the Old Phillips Translation. There's another Old Translation called the Woos Translation. These are a little easier to read than like the Jerusalem Bible, the King James Version, that kind of stuff. They're a little more readable, but yet a little more literal. Hope I didn't lose you there. I just kind of gave that to you as a green stamp bonus. and You don't even know what a green stamp bonus is because you're too young. All right, let's go at the very top and talk about the call of God here, some observations about it. Here's what I've noticed is, first of all, it usually comes in the course of the ordinary. Write the word ordinary in there. You're just serving God. You're being faithful to God. God knows your heart. And like Moses in Exodus 3, he's out tending the sheep and this bush spontaneously Uh, ignite spontaneous combustion and it burns the difference is and that still happens in desert regions of the earth today I was out in New Mexico one time and I said what's that it was a bush that caught fire it was spontaneous combustion Uh, and we watched it for a little bit the difference with this bush was it was not consumed it did not it was not consumed Moses was just being faithful just being faithful god knew what it was in his heart acts chapter 9 Saul of Tarsus now he was religiously blind but he was being as faithful as he knew how to be and god through his providence and sovereignty reached down in the ordinary of Saul's life and got a hold of him you say well what do i got to do to get god to call me to, what what do i have to do to get god to call me to the ministry just keep serving him just being faithful. Just be what you're. Just do what you're supposed to do. That's it. Just cross your Ts and dot your I's, and work on your attitude, and work on your spiritual growth, and work on your relationships, and that's it. The call of God usually comes in the ordinary of life. Secondly, the call is often fulfilled later in life. Later in life. This is what happened to. Uh, both Saul of Tarsus and Moses. It took a while for God to fulfill everything that he had spoken to them about. In, in fact, the, 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 sometime you need to study the book of Acts. Uh, from Acts chapter 1 through about Acts chapter 9, it's basically about the Apostle Peter. From Acts chapter 9 on, it's basically about the Apostle Paul. Sometime you need to read from chapter 9 through the end of Acts And just read everything you can about the Apostle Paul. It's amazing the journey that God took him on. He gets saved. He gets all on fire. But he caused a lot of trouble, so much so they wanted to kill him. And there's one verse in there. It says that his friends dug a hole in the wall, let him out, and then the church had rest. Now, I'm not sure I'd like that to be said about me, that after I left, the church had rest. I mean, he was causing a lot of trouble. And he had to go back. He had to have more revelation from the Lord. You know, the Lord appeared to him in person for at least two years in the desert. See, there you go. You can't get away from that desert experience, can you? Uh, There was more maturity that needed to take place. And then he came back, and he was more of a mature minister. So the call is often fulfilled later in life. happened to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Number 3. The call may be general or specific. Genesis 37, this is about Joseph. Now, now that's why I would say to you, don't get all uptight if you do not know exactly what God wants you to do. Well, am I supposed to be a youth pastor, a pastor, evangelist, a Bible school teacher, a missionary? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be a worship leader? Don't get uptight. Leave all your options open because God may have specific things for you to do, which he will, and he may have general things for you to do, which he will. The Genesis 37 is about Joseph. The specific thing that God had for Joseph to do was to save his very own family. You know the story? But the general thing God had for Joseph to do was to save millions of people, at least hundreds of thousands, from starvation. So don't get uptight about it. Take what opportunities you have. If it's to speak in a nursing home, speak in a nursing home. If it's to speak to a youth group, speak to a youth group. If it's to speak at a dead church, speak at a dead church. You know, you don't just do what you want to do. Because through each experience, God has something for you. Don't get uptight. The call may be general or it may be specific. You know what I've noticed that's different about your generation than previous generations? especially with the global calling. It used to be young people, young adults would come to me and say, I'm called to Japan. Take the gospel to Japan. I'm called to China. I'm called to Africa. And that's great if you get that type of specific call. But you know what I hear now from young adults? I'm called to the nations. Hallelujah for that. One of the missionaries that we support He ended up in the island country of Tonga, and he was miserable. It was his valley. It was his desert experience. Now he's in the island country of of Vanuatu, where they speak Bislama. It's the funniest language I've ever heard. There's over 6,000 spoken languages, over 30,000 dead languages that we know of, probably a lot more than that, and you should hear this Bislama. It's a combination of English, French, and Jamaican. For instance, when you say to somebody, come here, they say it real fast. Go sit, come. Go sit, come is what they say. But it's come here. Go sit, come. And the missionary speaks it so good. Before we preached, he said, You're going to have to practice with me so you get all your laughing out. I said, What do you mean? He said, This is the funniest language you will ever hear in your life. So, you know, I practiced preaching and then he would interpret and I would just burst out laughing. It was such an incredibly funny language. Well, he was miserable in Tonga. God moved him to Vanuatu, and now he's doing what he dreamed about as a 10-year-old boy. He was raised on a farm in northern Missouri, and he had dreams at night of he would be outside these little villages where people never heard about Jesus ever. And he would be around a campfire with the chief and the witch doctor and convince them, and eventually the whole village would get saved. And that's exactly what this guy is doing right now he's just a farm boy from northern missouri just a hick not a chicago streetwise person a redneck learned another language and he goes into these villages he, he he'll be gone for two and three weeks at a time no satellite phone no nothing he'll always take somebody with him dangerous hikes and you've got to camp outside of these villages and you meet with the witch doctor and the elders first and then eventually the tribal chief and if they're convinced you're a good person then they let you in. He camps out and, then he, and he's getting whole villages. Vanuatu is the last place on earth where there was uh, uh, cannibals. Yeah, I've got pictures. I'll show you when we take a break. Uh, this one guy His grandfather was a cannibal. I said, did you ever eat human flesh? He said, yeah, and I really like white meat. He was Melanesian, Black Islanders. There's Polynesian, Brown Islanders, and Melanesian, Black Islanders. He said, I really like white meat. And he was a real funny guy. We would eat ice cream and fruit, and I'm up there preaching, sweating away away like crazy, and he's going, (laughs) medicine, medicine, medicine. So... General or specific, don't worry about it. Number four, the call is so strong, we can do nothing but obey. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Now, Jeremiah 23.9 is really a cool verse. Now, let me set it up in context for you. Jeremiah, every time he got the word from the Lord, it was the bad news blues for the king. I mean, it was not a word of encouragement. It was a massive word of rebuke. And, I mean, he's getting thrown in prisons. Uh, He he would write these scrolls or dictate dictate them to another guy, and the king wouldn't even read them and throw them in the fire. I mean, just constant rejection, rejection, rejection. We don't like rejection. But that's part of it. If you think everybody's going to like you, then you're going into the wrong profession. Now, it's nice to have everybody like you, but it's not necessary. Now, you need to learn to be likable and overcome being offensive and learn how to win friends and influence enemies. I do not believe that Jesus was a rude person. I believe Jesus was a fun person to be around. Even the children wanted to be around Him. There was something about Jesus and His presence. We need to be likable people, but there aren't, you know, somebody... I'm in a college town, and so we're all the time having people interview us, you know, sociology students, psychology students, and these law students came to interview me one day, and they said, well, what if it becomes illegal in the state of Illinois in the United States to preach that homosexuality is a sin? I said, well, I guess I'll be starting a jail ministry. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah for Jesus. It's not always a popular profession, especially when some of these big-name ministries fall and it embarrasses the rest of us. It's just like, hey, I'm just a pastor trying my best, and I'm not like that, okay? Uh, but, but we have to obey. Jeremiah, every time he gets this word from the Lord, it's the bad news blues. And he says this in Jeremiah 23.9. This is a marker verse in your Bible. He says, I'm not going to speak anymore in the Lord's name. I'm just tired of getting thrown in prisons and all my work being burned up, and I'm tired of the rejection. I am not going to speak anymore in the Lord's name. But then he says, it's like a fire. Fuego. Shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. I've got to speak it out. Ooh, come on. You just got to obey, honey. I don't care what anybody says about you. Young man, you just got to obey. This is the call of God, the hand of God upon your life. And you just walk in obedience. And and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but other people do not understand. Don't be offensive in trying to explain the call of God to them. Sometimes you just kind of let them have their little say, especially when it's family. But deep down in your heart, you know you're going to obey God. You're going to do what God wants you to do. Because you've had a revelation of His character. And you know He won't play games with your life. And you may end up in another nation, speaking another language, camping out in the jungle. But that's why God created you. Ooh, I'm kind of getting a little preachified here. And this is just supposed to be a class. Woo, come on. Yeah, let's hear it for the Saints, by the way. Woo! Yeah, they won the Super Bowl. Come on, baby. My mother lived in Metairie for 32 years. So, we're ready for what? Number five? The call is beyond our natural abilities. It's beyond our natural abilities. Now, usually the giftings of God are built on natural abilities. For example, if you're a happy, glad person all the time, a joyful person, probably you will be used in the gift of exhortation. All right? Um, so, so, you know, if you have a natural music talent, probably God will use you to in the ministry of leading and worship. It's not that the... The supernatural abilities of God have to be connected to a natural ability, but usually it's built upon that. Alright? Please don't think you're a worship leader if you can't sing. Please don't do that to us. Okay? <laughs> Zechariah four six says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Okay? So the call is way beyond our natural abilities. In fact, if it's just something that we can do, then we're just no different than anybody else. You say, I don't know if I can do this. Well, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Dependent upon Him. You, you, you know, Nancy, I love when the children are about three years of age. Two and a half, three, three and a half. That's my favorite stage. I am an absolutely crazy intoxicated with love for my grandchildren grandpa I love being a papa I dream about my grandkids I pray for my grandkids every day I call them I I, I Skype them I love my grandchildren everything And, and that two and a half to three and a half years of age oh it's just so precious they're so dependent upon us I really believe that's what God wants. He wants us to be absolutely dependent upon Him. The trouble with being talented is you can rely upon your own talent. The trouble with experience is you can rely upon your own experience. If you feel inadequate, you're in a good place. You're in the same place Moses was. God just wants you to be dependent upon Him well, I don't look very good, I don't talk very good, I don't think very good, I don't sing very good, I don't do this. You are in an awesome place because you got to depend on something greater than you. You know, pastoring a church, it's the most wonderful thing in the world, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And there are times I walk back and forth in our auditorium and I put my head against the wall and I say, God, I can't do this deliver me from unreasonable people that's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica Christians they get all opinionated about this and opinionated about that and they think church is about them and it's like God I can't do this you've got the wrong person I've got to and I cannot explain how he helps me other than he helps me it's beyond my ability. You say, I'm not very organized. You're in a great place. You're in a great place. You depend upon him. Number six, the call is verified by others. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus tried to start hanging around the disciples, and they were afraid that it was a plot, and he was just finding out who they were so he could persecute more of them. You know the whole story of his life. But Barnabas said, no, he's one of us. He's really born again. He's really Spirit-filled. The Lord Himself appeared to him. You see, you don't just go off on your own half-cocked, as we say in the English language, to do your own thing. If God's hand is really upon you, other people will recognize it. Other people will bless you. Other people will help you. Other people will believe in you. They will encourage you. That's why you have to develop relationship skills. That's why you have to, and do I need to wrap this up at 12.15 at least for those that are there? Okay. So they're still online. Alright, those of you in uh, Shreveport and in New Orleans, holler out who dat? We're going to help you out. One, two, three. Who Who dat? Come on, help me out. One, two, three. Who dat? All right, that's what they did for the saints down there, okay? Uh, So this is why you've got to learn relational skills, relationship skills. You would think the higher on the totem pole you go in society, the more secure people would be. But I've discovered exactly the opposite. Lead pastors, doctors, especially surgeons, politicians, they don't have very many friends. And it's very hard. They're not very obtainable and approachable. Now, believe me, I understand pressure. I mean, we have thousands of constituents. I don't know everybody's name. I don't need to know everybody's name. Jesus ministered to the masses, but he discipled a few. Uh, I would beg you someday to read the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. I would beg you to read that book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, by Robert Coleman. It will help you to put it together in regards to evangelism and discipleship and discipleship and evangelism. One of my top ten favorite books. And, and let me say here to SUM in Chicago and SUM both campuses in Louisiana, if you want to Facebook me, Gary Wayne Grogan, but you need to put in the tagline that you're an SUM attendee, I, was a, I will accept you as a friend And then you can read some of my old blogs. I don't blog the way I used to, but I have listed there my top ten favorite verses, which are more than ten, my top ten favorite books, which are more than ten. But I would beg you to read Robert Coleman's book, uh, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, Master Plan of Evangelism. It will put it together for you if you're struggling with the concepts of discipleship and evangelism. I got to hear the man speak a couple times. He's just up here at Deerfield, Illinois. I guess he's still whacking away. He's got to be an old dude by now. Uh, but very, very good. So the call is verified by others. I kind of got some sanctified or rambling going on that point. Number seven, the call may change in form and function over time. This is what happened to the Apostle Peter. Now basically, As I said, Acts chapters 1 through 8 or 9 is the Apostle Paul, but you do read about the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 10, and through the end of Acts you read about Paul. But this is where God dealt with Peter about his racism and how the gospel was for everybody. You remember the story of the sheet being lowered three times and a voice saying, rise, kill, and eat, and Peter said, not so, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips, and and don't call unclean what I've declared clean. And Peter had a revelation. You've got to have revelations. You've got to have insights of the Holy Spirit. Words of wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happened uh, to the Apostle Peter here. And the the people from Cornelius' house came. And as a Jew, he went into the Gentiles' homes. You weren't supposed to do that. And he went and had a meal with them worse than that. But... Uh, so my point is, Simon Peter prior to this, and this was about eight or nine years after Pentecost, it takes people a while to change. You've got to be patient with people. I mean, here Simon Peter was an apostle. They brought people out in the streets hoping his shadow would fall on them so they could just maybe get healed from his shadow, and he still was a racist. It takes people time to change. Here's a couple things I always like to say on the subject of racism. I understand the white man's ignorance, but I don't agree with it. I understand the black man's anger, but I don't agree with that. If you're going to be white and ignorant about the situation, particularly institutional racism, you'll not be a good leader. And if you're going to be black and angry all the time, the whites are just going to run away from you. They won't use on things, by the way. How can you have an interracial marriage when there's only one race? There's only the human race. You know, Anthropologists say there's 33 races, 34 if you count the gypsies of the world, but biblically, the Bible says there's only one race, Acts 7:25 or is it verse 26? We all come from Adam's blood. You say, "Well, where'd all the different skin colors come? Came out of Adam." We have a geologist in our church and down in East Central Illinois, we have about 15 feet of topsoil. It's really black. And it's really rich. Did you know there's white soil on the planet Earth? If you don't believe me, just go to island countries of the Earth. You ever been down south in Georgia and Oklahoma and Texas and seen all the red soil of the Earth? You ever been uh, to the western part of the Midwest and seen all the yellow soil along some of the creeks? Certainly there's brown soil. Adam was created out of the dust of the Earth. Where'd all the different skin colors come from? They didn't come from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's silly. They all came from Adam. Within the DNA of Adam was the ability to give birth to different skin color. If you don't believe me, it's been proven genetically throughout the generations. Just a few years ago, a white British man married a black British girl. They had identical twins. One was white and one was black. So there you go. I need to preach that in Louisiana. Trouble is they might tar and feather me down there. So don't be uptight about it changing in form and function. I'm camping out on this for a reason. Somebody here must need this. All right, number eight, the call demands of us great responsibility and courage. Great responsibility and courage. Um, You know what the number one command in the Bible is as far as sheer repetition do not fear it's the number one command in the Old and the New Covenant by sheer repetition do not fear now if you want an easy life please don't go into the ministry if you think everybody's well they hurt my feelings yeah yeah people can be real jerks just like you and I can be real jerks well i'm working so hard and i'm sacrificing so hard it doesn't matter it takes incredible courage and incredible responsibility to make ministry work incredible responsibility incredible courage that jesus had now that story in numbers chapter 9 excuse me is the story of how the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, every time it moved, the children of Israel when they were camped out in the Sinai Peninsula, the wilderness, they had to move with the, the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory, okay, or the pillar of cloud. Every time it moved, they had to move. That was a lot of responsibility. I mean, it depends on whose uh, commentator you read, but there are anywhere from a half a million to a million and a half people wandering around in the desert there. Have you ever camped out? It's a lot of work to camp out. I mean, you gotta dig your latrine. Do you know what a latrine is? That's where you go pote. I mean, you gotta dig your latrine, you gotta get your campfire, you've got to gather your wood, you gotta put your tent up, you gotta cook your food, manna and quail, you know, manna, cereal, quail burgers, you know. I I mean, you gotta do all that. It's a lot of work. And, and what if in the middle of the afternoon sun, the cloud began to move, and the babies were down for a nap, and the old people were down for a nap? you got to move. Because in the cloud is the presence, the protection, and the provision of God. It took a lot of responsibility and a lot of courage. What if in the middle of the night, after a day of teething and drooling, your child was finally sleeping, and they got over their callic, and they were finally sleeping, and the pillar of fire moved. you got to move. Because outside of the presence is the enemy. There's no provision there. There's no protection there. I mean, it, it takes courage to be a minister. It takes courage. It's not an easy occupation. Well, God's going to take care of me. Well, it takes a lot of courage. It takes courage. It's like the Wizard of Oz. you got to have courage. you got to be a lion with courage. Whew. Number nine, the call involves those close to us. Deuteronomy 19.15, it talks about every word should be established through the mouth of two or three witnesses. Again, you don't just go out on your own, but um, you, you communicate with those close to you. And this is where relatives do not always understand. I remember God called me to the ministry, and maybe I'll tell you that story here in a little bit, but I went home the summer after my freshman year in Bible college, and and my older brother left for Vietnam, my younger brother had got married, my father had died, my mother moved down to New Orleans, Louisiana and got married to another guy and I was all alone and lived on the farm with my aunt and uncle and we were out digging thistles out of the pasture one hot summer day and my uncle said well now that you've learned the Bible like you can learn it in one year now that you've learned the Bible are you going to come home and get a regular job he just did not understand what God was doing on the inside of me. You know, parents, siblings, you got to do your best to communicate with them. Prove to them that God's hand is on your life. Change. Change. If you're still living at home and you've been a slob, change. Clean up your bedroom. If you've been irresponsible, change. Carry out the garbage and show them that you have changed, that you're becoming more of a responsible person. Show some initiative. Change. Change. Embrace some new wineskins. Number ten, very familiar with number nine. The call involves partnering with others. First Corinthians three nine says we're partners with God. Second Corinthians six one says that we are laborers together. We can do together better than what we can do alone. You got to learn how to work in teams. You got to learn something about your own temperament and the temperament of others. That's what you get. Now, the best book I could recommend on that is um, by Florence Littenauer. Help me out, Jason. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. Florence Littenauer, Florence Littenauer, Florence Littenauer. Can you, is anybody online here? Can you? Can you? Google Florence, Littenauer, L-I-T, it's the German way, ten E N H E-N-H-A-U-E-R, ah, it's in my book of top ten, I can't remember it. But you got to learn to partner with others. Now, now, this is where, you know, you can't be jealous of another person's ministry, all right? Uh, Paul said it's not wise to compare ourselves with ourselves. What he meant was it's not wise for me to compare myself with you and you to compare yourself with me. That is not wise. I said earlier, the higher you go up the totem pole, the more secure you'd think people would be. I found just the opposite. But it shouldn't be that way. Our lives should be an open book. Alright? That's the Jesus model of leadership. I'm not talking about White man leadership, black man leadership, African leadership, Hispanic leadership, Asian leadership, Anglo leadership. I'm talking about Jesus' style of leadership. You know, if you went to the Hancock building or you went to the Sears building, I don't think Jesus would have a big pimped out suite at the top. I think he'd be down with the janitors talking to him. And at the same time, I think he'd be up in the conference room talking to them too. Hmm? So we've got to partner with others. We've got to work with others. Now, here's what your confidence is in. At every stage of your life, you have different temptations. There's a reason why Paul said, flee youthful lust. You know, I was preaching through the Ten Commandments, and when I was preaching about adultery and I was talking about this, I said, probably those of you that are 85, this is not a big temptation for you. Although it could be. Adultery and fornication could be a big problem for those of you that are 85. But probably that's not a big temptation for those of you that are 85. At this stage in your life, one of the things you lack is experience. And it causes you to second guess yourself. Alright? You've got to take every opportunity you have. You've got to learn to ask questions. One of the things I love about Jason Jackson is he asks questions. My word, he hardly shut up the whole way here. Yes, Jason, ask a question, see? Personality Plus, that's it, by Florence Littenauer. The best book to help you to understand yourself and others. Personality Plus by Florence Littenauer. Now, I hope you're not one of these kind of Christians that's against psychology and all that kind of stuff, Okay. I actually have a minor degree in psychology from the University of Minnesota, and um, all it is is a study of human personality. I mean, you don't have anything against doctors, do you? I mean, if you if you break your arm, can you, you're going to go to the doctor and have him have him look at it? Okay, if you do, maybe you and I need to talk afterwards, and I'll help you out a little bit. Partnering with others, Florence Littenauer, Personality Plus. Okay, so here's your confidence. Where's your confidence? First of all, in the call of God. Do you see that? John 15, 16. He, you did not choose Him, but He chose you and He set you apart. He ordained you that you should go and bear forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. There's something that God saw in your heart. Why did God call you? because you and I are so great and wonderful because we're so good looking and talented I never finished this thought earlier the trouble with being extremely talented I did mention it is that you depend upon yourself and your experience and not upon God Paul said now Paul had the equivalent to two earned Ph.D. degrees and the Apostle Paul said I count it all but dung for the excellency of Christ So if you're extremely talented in some area, you just say, Lord, I submit it all to you. If you're not very talented, you're actually in a good place because you've got to be more dependent upon God. Secondly, your confidence is in the anointing, and the word anointing means enablement. You've got to learn what words mean. In the church world, we throw around the word anointing all the time. We don't even know what it means. It means enablement. Your confidence is in the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a cool verse in Hebrews one eight. I love it from the King James. It talks about Jesus. And it says that He was anointed with the oil of gladness above all His fellows because He loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Now, there's the key to the anointing. you got to love righteousness and hate iniquity. That's the key to the enablement of God. You love righteousness and you hate iniquity. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be on the streets. I don't want to be a drug addict. I don't want to be an alcoholic. I do not want to live an aimless life. Now I'm going to learn how to have the Holy Spirit control me. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's not self-control. It's the Holy Spirit controlling you. I'm going to live a life of discipline. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to study. I'm going to learn how to read. I'm going to increase my intelligence quota. I'm going to be everything God wants me to be. Kind of got a little preachified there again, didn't I? All right, number three. Then your confidence is in the Word of God, Isaiah 55.10. You keep on casting it out on the water and it'll come back. There'll always be somebody that can sing better than you, administrate better than you, organize better than you, talk, speak, preach, teach better than you. But this is a thousand proof. I mean, this Word really works. If you teach the Word, you get Word results. If you sing the Word, you get Word results. If you counsel the Word, you get Word results. If you live the Word, you get Word results. There's no better seed than this. This is hybrid. It works in every culture of all ages at all times. The Word of God. Now, if you just want to get up and kind of preach a little cultural thing, you know, and okay, that's fine. But if you preach the Word of God, you will get Word of God results, all right? So there's a whole bunch of rambling, some observations about the call of God. And, man, I'd be willing to take a break and go into the right another session. But if you've got video classes you have to watch, that's great. So those of you in Shreveport and New Orleans, thanks for being with us. Maybe a little Q&A, Pastor Joe. Could we do that? All right. Is there anybody from Shreveport? You want to text Pastor Joe right now. Do they have the information on how to do that? Pastor Joe? Okay. Anybody in New Orleans? Uh, And if you're drinking chicory coffee right now, I don't like you because I wish I had some. But I will be at Mardi Gras and I have some chicory coffee and some beignets. Um, Anybody in New Orleans, you want to text Pastor Joe with a question? Or anybody here at SUM? Any subject whatsoever Uh, would be great Q&A. Let's have a quick little prayer over this teaching. Lord, seal this teaching in our hearts. There's so much here, Lord. I mean, it's just a lifetime of experience here, and I pray something that was said would help somebody. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, everybody stand up real quick. Stand up here in Chicago. Stand up there in uh, uh, New Orleans. Stand up there in Shreveport. Stretch, stretch. Everybody stretch real big like this. Stretch real big like this. Okay, rub the person's back, neck in front of you to the side of you. All right, okay. All right, you may be seated. You may be seated. Okay, anybody here in Chicago have a question? And Pastor Joe, you can interrupt me anytime. Anybody that wants to text from one of the other places. You learn by asking questions, okay? Anything. Anything dating relationships the whole shot anything anything Yep Yep okay questions on any subject all right I've been married uh, I've got married the day after I graduated from college it was a crazy week We had now in those days we had baccalaureate plus graduation so we had baccalaureate practice baccalaureate we had graduation practice I had wedding rehearsal I had graduation then I got married, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, went to my roommate's wedding at 7 o'clock at night. And the next morning I showed up at this little church, and I had on white shoes. I had a white big old belt. belt. My hair was down to here, at four inches over my collar. And I had a, a, a white and blue shirt. And one of the pastors came back and said, Gary, we'll probably never see you again when you preach this morning. And I'd given my little bride a white Bible and underlined some things in the Bible for our honeymoon. So after all that crazy week, I preached on Sunday morning, and I'm not kidding you. I preached out of the Song of Solomon. (laughs) This day hath this scripture been fulfilled. (laughs) I'm sure they thought, that young man is crazy. But I was happy. Yeah, okay, uh, this comes from where? Okay, as a pastor, how do you deal with people that are in your ministry uh, that do not have ears to hear when God has revealed to you that there is sin they have to deal with? Obviously, everything good comes out of relationships, so perhaps you have to work a little bit harder first on the relationship. It's never easy to deal with people. Um, I would encourage you to deal with them as a younger brother, a younger sister. I don't know how old you are, but for me, obviously, I would deal with them as a son or a daughter. Um, So we have to hold the standard up, but at the same time, we want to try to salvage the relationship. You know, as we look back over our own life, we don't always change as quick as we wish that we would have, and it's the same way with people. Uh, Here's a word of wisdom I received from one of my spiritual mentors. He said, in dealing with people, it's always best to err on the side of grace rather than on the side of judgment. And I've tried to live that way. Anytime I've been harsh with people, anytime I've been mean with people, I've always regretted it. Uh, You know, I do want to hold the standard up. You know, nowadays in the Western world, it's like everybody lives together before they get married. And we put together a a purity covenant. And if you want a Christian wedding by one of our pastors, then you have to pledge to wait to come together until your honeymoon night. If you're already living together, even if you have children, you have to be willing to move out uh, during that time. Uh, So I don't know what the situation is. In the music ministry, a lot of right brain people, it's hard for them to do left brain things such as tithe, such as be on time, those type of things. So we have covenants that people have to sign in our music ministry. And again, let me just give you that word of wisdom. It's better to err on the side of grace and patience than on the side of judgment and rashness. Maybe work on the relationship a little bit longer. See if that helps. If it does, Hopefully you've talked to them, you've prayed about it, you've talked to them. And then the next stage, of course, would be to take somebody with you to talk to them. If it's a major problem, then you've got to bring it to the leadership of the church. But in our church, I have all of our different pastors deal with their areas of ministry because I can't do it. We have too many people. And I, have, I say to them, okay, how are your people doing in tithing? Da, 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 da. Maybe I give them some help, some literature, stuff like that. So if that's not adequate, please text Pastor Joe again, and I'll try to make it clearer. Any questions here in Chicago? Yes? Yeah. The question was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, first paragraph one through four, Were there 120 filled or was it just 12 filled? Because later the Apostle Peter talks about how those that stood with us. uh, Some say it was only 12. Some say 120. I believe it was 120. Now, it doesn't specifically in the text say they were in an upper room. Okay? We kind of read that into the text. All right? Uh, It says they were all filled. That was good enough for me. Uh, In our church... In our church, four to five to six times a year, I do what's called Holy Spirit 3.0, and I walk people through the book of Acts. Uh, In the very first class, which is coming up this Wednesday night, we look at every instance in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit was outpoured. And let me just give you a little insight that will help you to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit a little bit better. There are two Greek words for our one English word, receive. The passive Greek word uh, is uh, decomaya, and that's like pass the salt. Can I have the salt, please? Okay? And then the active aggressive, uh, emphatic word for receive is lombano. Every time in the book of Acts where they received the Holy Spirit, guess which Greek word was used? Lombano. We cannot be passive about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be like sitting around saying, Well, God, if you want to save me. No, it says, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so some people have the idea, Okay, well, I'm open. If God wants to Holy Spirit baptize me, He can Holy Spirit baptize me. That's wrong theology. We have to really be aggressive and go after the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, Ephesians 5.18, continually be filled, lombano. we got to continually go after God with some passion and some aggression, see? So in my view, it was 120. It was a bunch of folks. And I'm not stuck on the exact number. You know, it's kind of like if when I go back today uh, and somebody says, well, how many were in the class? I would say, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20. Well, I don't know if that's exactly. I'd have to count how many. You know, you you see, not always is it was it the exact 120. It could have been a little more. Could have been a little less. Okay. Any other question? Any other question? We learn by asking questions. Jason, help him out. Ask some questions. I gave him a little. I know you're hungry and you want to eat. Hallelujah. I got delivered from that okay Jason's question Jason from Urbana he came with me today was uh, talk about the call of God some specific stories examples of from general to specific um, I had the leadership gift I just didn't know it now some people in some cultures think that all you need to build a ministry and to build a church is a preaching gift. That's not the truth. You need also the leadership gift. You need to know how to organize and equip and delegate and empower and take care of all the different age groups. I mean, you might be a great preacher, but if your service goes too long and you got people watching those babies down there that are tired and you've run out of diapers and you can be as spiritual as you want to be, but if those babies aren't taken care of, those people aren't going to come back. Okay? And is that Romans 12:7 that talks about the leadership gift? Could somebody check with me on that? Let him who rules rule well. It's somewhere around there, Romans 12 or something like that. I had the leadership gift, but I just didn't know it. I was raised in a small town, very poor people. By the way, next to the only African-Americans in town. And it's funny how God uses life experiences because our church is very multicultural. And um, I preach a lot more about racism than the average white pastor and understand more about that. But um, I, was it Romans 12, 7? 12, 8. Romans 12, 8 talks about the leadership gift. I had that. I just didn't know it. Well, my freshman year in high school, we got a new pastor uh, in our home church. And he really cared for the young people. And he began to teach us how to be soul winners and how to have a daily devotional life and how to read the Bible through and how to use a concordance and, and how to look up verses of Scripture and all that kind of stuff. And I really began to grow spiritually. And I led my first soul to Christ my sophomore year in high school. And it was a very dramatic experience. And I knew that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I didn't care if I was a garbage collector, a factory worker, a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer. I did not care what I did. I just knew that I wanted to point people to the person of Jesus Christ, bring them into a relationship with Him. Well, this pastor started giving me leadership responsibilities. And then afterwards, he would say, hey, you did a great job here. You know, he, he was like Muhammad Ali. He would he would use the float and then the sting method, you know. He'd butter me up a little bit, and he'd say, but you could do that better. and But you should have done this. And so he always made me feel good, but he always helped me to improve organizing events, equipping people, speaking. I remember the first time I really preached was at a community uh Easter gathering, I was so nervous I didn't hardly sleep the night before and I said everything I knew to say in about seven minutes don't you wish that was today just kidding, just kidding Uh, so I had the leadership gift, I didn't know it and people would say things like I could see you being a pastor and I could see you doing this well to me ministers were way up here and I was way down here and the Vietnam War was going on and I just thought I would join the army on a buddy system a friend of mine, Kevin and I, and we would just go to Vietnam and we would just win people to Jesus before they got killed. <laughs> Boy, those were naive thoughts, weren't they? Um, so, at youth convention in the spring of the year, I was real broken before the Lord at the altar and the pastor said to me, God wants you to do the ministry. And I said, okay, yeah, I can be a witness. I can do the ministry. And that, that was just my idea of the ministry. Well, then that summer, I went to see my brother off in San Diego who was leaving for Vietnam. My appendix burst. I got peritonitis. I almost died. I went from 165 pounds to 85 pounds. I was on medicine for over a year. I finally came back home when I was well enough, and I went to camp that summer. And I couldn't play the sports, and I was always athletic. And I couldn't chase the girls because I looked like a refugee victim. And all I could do was stay in the chapel all day and talk to the speakers and the teachers and play tabletop games and seek God. And on Tuesday night of that camp, God gave me a supernatural vision in my mind's eye and I thought that I was called to be a military chaplain. I didn't even know what a military chaplain was. I got up from the altar, The pastor, my hometown pastor went to the camp with me. And I told, he said, what happened? And I told him, he said, you're called to be a military chaplain. I said, what's that? I was so young and naive. He said, it's a witness in the Army. I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. But I believe God allowed me to misinterpret the call so that I would make good grades. Because I always had the ability to make good grades, but I didn't want to. I didn't have any motivation. You see, when you get plugged into the purposes of God for your life, vision gives you motivation. I'll tell you what will keep you from sinning. It's vision for your life. I'm all for memorizing Scripture and prayer and fasting and all that. But I'll tell you what will keep you from sinning. It's a vision for your life. I've got a vision for my life. I can't go out and be an adulterer. I can't go out and cheat the church out of money. I can't do that. i got a vision for my life, for the purposes of God. Woo! Come on, wave a hanky, give me some help up here, something. Well, I could just, I could go on and on and on about that, but thanks for asking. So, are they offline? We, we can take a break. We can take a break. I could talk all day. I'm sorry.